I'll get it. John's Gospel, chapter 13. While you're turning there by way of introduction, last week, um, I just, as I was studying the chapter last week and the section we were in, Jesus had just healed Lazarus, and now the, it's the last week in Jesus' earthly ministry. And the thing that just stood out was all these different people and having this perception of God and just some of them kind of getting it, but um, just through their lack of time in the presence of Jesus, not really fully understanding who he is and what he's about, but just this grace for them. It was the religious leaders that should have known better, and um, you see them gonna, you know, wanting to kill Lazarus because he's bad for their theology. They don't believe in a resurrection, and Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. He resurrected him, and so you know, instead of changing your belief, you kill you know, what doesn't agree with your belief. So just incredible. And I titled the message um, Unfulfilled Expectations from God because I think a lot of times we have these misconceptions. And I talked about justice, mercy, and grace. Justice, getting what you deserve. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. And grace, getting what you don't deserve. And I think unfortunately, oftentimes when we have an unfulfilled expectation from God, it's because we're expecting mercy and grace. Expect justice. And when you get mercy and grace... You're just overjoyed. You're just overwhelmed. Lord, thank you. Whoo, wow. That's beautiful. I'll take it, you know? But when you speed and you get a ticket, there's justice, right? You just, uh, I got a ticket. Got what I deserved. I shouldn't have been speeding or breaking the law or doing whatever. So that was kind of last week. This week, we're going to just look at verses 1 through 17. The title of my message is Washing Dirty Feet. wonder what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about dirty feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just thank you, Lord, that we can learn so much from you and learn about you. Lord, you are inexhaustive. The more we learn, the more we know about you, Lord, the more we fall in love with you and just are amazed at your wonder and your goodness and your grace, your love for us. And so we just lift this time up, Father. We pray that you give us Eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. So we're looking at John's Gospel, chapter 13. We'll start at verse 1. The Bible says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Think about that. Last part of that sentence there. He loved them to the end. This whole chapter has just all of these references to the cross. And that's what it's pointing to. It's pointing to the cross. He's loving them to the very, very end. And he's singularly focused on the cross. He's intent on going to the cross. His hour is finally here. Oftentimes they would try to reveal him, they would try to expose him, they would try to, uh, you know, let's, let's make you king, you're the Messiah, let's get your rule and reign going, and my hour hasn't come. Throughout the Gospels he would say, my hour hasn't come. Well, his hour is here, the Passover is on hand, and the Passover lamb is going to be crucified. And so, in the midst of that, Jesus is still other-centered. He's about to go to the cross. And he knows that it's here, and yet he loves them to the end. I asked a couple questions as I was going through this. Does 
God loved his children differently than those that didn't belong to him. What are your thoughts? Does God love his children differently than those who don't belong to him? It's a yes and no. It's a yes and no, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. That's universal love. But there's something to be said about his kids. There's something to be said. Think about you having children. You discipline your children probably a little differently than you might discipline the neighbor's kid, right? You might tell the neighbor's kid, hey, stop that. But you're not going to go there and spank them uh, unless you want to go to jail or, or, you know, something. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. You're not supposed to. Yeah. But there's something to be said about God's kids and the love that he, you, you are the apple of his eye. You are, man, his affection towards you. And his love is just, we can't understand it. The Bible says in 1 John that God is love. But love is not God. And right now our world is upside down with what they define as love. And they think that love is going to win out and that love is going to do all these things. Rob Bell wrote a book, right? Love wins out. And that book, he refuted hell because he can't reconcile a God of love with punishment. But he's wrong. And so God does love his children that much more, that much better. Um, How does God demonstrate his love? You can answer, not rhetorical. He died for us. So again, we point to the cross, right? It says in the book of Romans, God demonstrated his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, okay? So if we ever wonder, does God love me? If we ever question, does God love me? Because when do we question? When we're struggling, when we're going through difficulties, when we're having hard times, we question, right? We wonder, look back to the cross. And so that'll show you once again, how much God loves you. Um, I'm reading, again, uh, A.W. Tozer's Attributes of God, and it's just, it's, it's blowing me away. Um, some of it can get heady because you're trying to understand God, and he even prefaces almost every chapter with, I, 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 I can't explain this, but I'm going I'm to try. And he, he pictures it as, imagine a botanist taking a flower And to understand that flower, he has to take petal by petal and give each little thing within that flower a name. But in in doing so, what does he do? He destroys the flower. In pulling it apart and taking it apart and naming each little piece of that flower. And so the beauty of the whole flower is destroyed in pulling it apart. And sometimes with God, you know, we have this thing of love and grace and mercy and justice and all of these things that God is. His eminency, his infinitude, all of these attributes that God... And, and sometimes, man, we're, we're getting this little tiny snapshot of that because God is so much bigger than anything we will ever understand. But picture the love of a mother with a newborn and the sacrifices that are willing to be made for that newborn. The lack of sleep. Every nutrient and vitamin that she might be taking in is, is, is given over to that child to make sure that that child is well taken care of. And, and just all of that, that, that's just a piece of how much God loves us. And that comes from the heart of God, right? It wasn't until the New Testament that we had this word penned in Greek, agape, 
And the best illustration that they had for agape without God was a mother's love for her child. Just unconditional love. No holds barred. Just I will sacrifice. And what parent, if their child was sick and they knew that through a blood transfusion, even if it meant their death, wouldn't give their life for that child? That's the heart of a parent, right? Well, our Heavenly Father has that for us. And His love for us is just amazing, inexhaustible, how much He loves you, how much you are the object of His affection. And love is both emotional from God's vantage point. We can grieve Him. But it's also, how oh, what was the book saying is the other attribute of God's love. I'll think about it. I'll share it with you. Two attributes of God's love. All right, moving on. Verse 2. Jesus loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And so we start with Judas being mentioned, and then he just kind of goes off that. So he's loving them. He's even loving Simon, but Simon's going to betray him. And imagine you knowing your betrayer, and yet you're going to just express that love to him anyways. And so we're going to touch on Simon and betrayal in the next study. Today we're just going to focus on washing dirty feet. And so Peter, speaking, right, Peter Peter's motto could be ready, fire, aim. Opens his mouth before he really, I think, lets the filter of his brain. Did you know that that's our filter, our head, our, our brain, our mind is supposed to filter? Because our heart is wicked, the Bible says, right? Who can know it? But Peter's like, Lord, are you washing my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. We mentioned it last week, but God's will is over time. What is that? It, it reveals itself over time. And so we don't fully understand everything that God wants to show us and teach us, whether it's about ourselves, whether it's about Him. Uh, it's, a, it's a revealed revelation. It's, it's a revealed over time as we walk with Him, as we talk to Him, as we just develop this understanding. And He is the only thing in this world that is inexhaustive, that the more you know Him, the more you study, the more you dig, the greater you love Him, the more you fall in love with Him. Everything else in the world is kind of like been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, right? It, it plays out. You can only eat so many good meals and you can only eat one at a time usually. You know, you can only drive one great car, live in one whatever house, and sooner or later, second law of thermodynamic kicks in, right? And it begins to deteriorate. And it's not new. You don't have that new car smell for very long. And the house begins to deteriorate and the plumbing goes down and all of that stuff. But with God, man, you study and you're like, Lord. And then you walk with him. And what does he do? He just, he shows you this grace and he shows you this mercy and he gives you this love and he grows you up and you're being sanctified. You're being set apart. 
as you walk with him and you just you fall in love with him more and more. And so Peter is Jesus is letting Peter know. Um, let's see what he says. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Verse eight, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, this section of scripture is, 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 it, is it, it's interesting, right? They're, they're saved, his disciples are saved, but they're picking up dirt. Jesus takes the lowest of the lowest servant's job. A Jewish slave couldn't even wash feet. So, I mean, this is an outsider, lowest of the lowest slave's job. And Jesus takes it on. Um, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Jesus is demonstrating something for us here. I, I wrote a couple verses down. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. I mean, that's a pretty, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's a pretty heavy little statement there, right, that Jesus makes. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Lord, if you go wash me, go ahead and bathe me. Go ahead and give me a bath. Give me a shower, Lord. If I'm that dirty, then, you know, clean all of me. Notice Jesus' response. In verse 10, Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Again, a reference to Simon, not all of you. Completely clean. How are we completely clean? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God, right? And so salvation, we're clean. We're sanctified from our past, sanctified to our future. Jesus is speaking of present day sanctification. We're growing in grace. We're growing in an understanding. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 5 26, Paul writes that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of of water by the word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this idea of completely clean and yet needs to wash their feet. As we walk in this world, we pick up earth. And earth comes from the world. And so we have worldliness in us. And that's what Jesus is making a reference to. There's things that we see. There's things that we hear. Whether we do it on purpose or we're just exposed to it because it's a, w a wicked world. We pick stuff up. Even without trying sometimes. You, you, you go and you see a billboard and it's just, ah, oh, why did I see that? You, flipping channels and you see stuff you didn't even want to see. And so this is that confessing of our sins the longer we walk with God the less we sin but the more we confess as we get closer to God we begin to see the level of depravity and sinfulness that we possess and 
We just, man, Lord, you're so holy and I'm not. <laughs> I just, I need to confess. Verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you if you, I'm sorry, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So three takeaways. For Jesus, it was the display of his humility and his servanthood. For the disciples, the washing of their feet was in direct contrast to their heart attitude at the time. And for us, washing feet is symbolic of our role in the body of Christ. So number one, the example of Jesus, a humble servant. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verse 12, second half says, Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Philippians chapter 2, we have the very famous passage called the kenosis, the emptying of God. So Jesus is God coming out of his home, coming down on a mission to be able to die for the sins of the world. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What length would God go to to redeem us? He'd pay it all, all the way coming out of glory, fully satisfied, fully content, fully fulfilled in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from the beginning of time. And Jesus is going to leave that to come and redeem us, to express how much He loves us. Just the, the humility. He's on earth. This is God incarnate on earth. And He's taking the lowest of positions, all the while, for the disciples, the washing of their feet was in direct contrast to their heart attitude at this very time. What are they arguing about? Luke chapter 22, 24 tells us. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So they're arguing who's the greatest amongst the apostles, amongst the disciples. While Jesus is, is giving them this demonstration of, guys, you want to be great? Who's greatest? He tells them, who's greatest among you? I'm greatest among you. You guys know that I'm the Messiah. You're coming to know who I really am, and you're really going to see who I am. But it's a, it's a delayed revelation. It's, it's happening over time. Much of this, the disciples admit, we didn't know it. 
when it was happening. But man, he rose from the dead and then little by little, things started to click. We started to understand more and more. And for us, the third lesson, washing feet is symbolic of our role in the body of Christ. Mark 9.35, the Bible says, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. In Mark 10.44, the Bible says, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. John 13.17, the Bible says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so the lesson of the washing of the feet first reveals to us the heart of God and how this upside world doesn't get true greatness. We live this small little, what is it, three score and ten years on earth? Seventy is the expected lifespan. We're beating that right now, right? I think we bumped it up to about 74 or so. And in those short little years in preparation for eternity, we spend our lives clawing, scraping, sacrificing so much for so little. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he demonstrates what life should be. And there he is, the greatest among them. And he's washing their feet, serving them in humility. Your love for God will be demonstrated on living like God. You have the example in Jesus. I just learned this this week. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What is the joy of the Lord? I, I, I was struggling with that. Well, what is the joy of the Lord? If that's my strength and I want to be strong, what is the joy of the Lord? That your life would bring Him glory. That's the joy of the Lord. You were, you were made to glorify God, your Creator. And that's your strength. Well, I'm weak. I'm troubled. I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I'm down. I'm all of these things. Is your life glorifying God? Well, I don't even know how to glorify God. Do what Jesus did. Find somebody in need and meet the need. Serve. That's the totality of our life. And we glorify God. And we find that we have strength to continue to do what God has called us to do. It can be overwhelming. So you've got to make sure that you're getting from God what he would have you to do because no one person of us can meet all the world's need. I was, I was thinking about John chapter five, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. How many were sick and lame and invalid and, and paralyzed at the pools? There's a grip. There's a whole lot of them. But Jesus saw one guy, 38 years in that condition. Do you want to be made well? Lord, I'm trying. But there's no man to help me. Take up your mat. Rise up and walk. <laughs> right? And so he went to one. Even in the story where Jesus, uh, the disciples are, you know, this, this waste. 
Judas, of course, who's stealing money from the treasury. This waste, you know, she took this, this vial of costly ointment and she wasted it. We could have sold it and give it to the poor. Uh, commentary in John's gospel, this he said because he was taking money out of the treasury, right? Right? What is Jesus' response? You're going to have the poor with you all the time. Poor's not going to go away through many people, no circumstances of their own, just tough breaks. Through some people, stupidity and struggle and sin. But the poor are always going to be here. As Roxanne and I were driving up on the way up here, you're just seeing all the homeless, and you're like, wow, it's bigger than any one person. Bigger than any one person. And I often think, man, Lord, it'd be cool to have a, have a home to be able to help people who want to be helped. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Very few want to be helped. But there's some. We've talked to them. We've seen them. We've had conversations. So, if you ever wonder how much God loves you, you look to the cross. But if you ever wonder how much you love God, just look at your life. Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. Look at, <laughs> you look at your lifestyle. How many people do you serve? How many people do you reach out to? Conversations that you have with people. Do you really care? You know you care about how much your, your lips are flapping. Are you consuming conversation? Or are you actually genuinely interested in people about where they're at? And I like what Calvin said four weeks ago now. Not as a pet project. Just because that's an extension of God and how much he cares. And then you might have an opportunity to plant a seed or water a seed and share the gospel, but that, you just want to be an extension of God, caring about people, caring about the things he cares about, and giving him the glory. All of the miracles that Jesus did, I'm just amazed that your light would shine amongst men and they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's exactly what he did.